Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Christmas. All right. Some of you are uh, not that excited, apparently. Um, It's official now. We can say it. Thanksgiving is over. And you know what? Just for the record, let's resolve this once and for all. How many of you agree that it is not appropriate to set up and get ready for Christmas until after Thanksgiving? Now, raise your hand if you think it's totally fine to do it before and any time. Unbelievable. Pastor Jonathan, I'll pray for you. Oh, celebrate Christ every day. Okay, okay. All right. You guys came ready, which I love. Um, Another reason we can say Merry Christmas, we are in a brand new series titled Age of the Messiah King, um, where we are going to be asking this question uh, for the next several weeks. What do you do when the Messiah doesn't meet your expectations? kind of sort of the question that we're looking at um, for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be camping out in uh, one particular passage. It's actually a pretty short passage of Scripture, um, but it has massive implications for you and I. And uh, it's found in Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, verse 6. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. That's just, this is where we're going to be for the next four weeks. And I just want to read it to us this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray over the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for your word and what it means, what it does in our hearts. Lord, we ask that these next few moments you would illuminate our hearts and eyes to the truth and the reality of your word, that it is alive, that it is active, that we would not just read it, but it would read us. It would speak to us. The very deepest Uh, parts of our hearts would come to life as we encounter you through your word, Lord. And ultimately, we would be changed when we leave this place. We'd look a little more like you as we walk out these doors. And in your name we pray. Amen. 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 My title for today is Uncommon Name. Uh, How many of you have been given a nickname at some point in your life? 
All right. How many of you were given a nickname when you were little and it's still used today? Yeah, a lot of you. Um, nicknames, I don't know what it is, man, but they're a funny thing and we love to give them, don't we? Sometimes we don't love receiving them. Like myself, I've been given a lot of nicknames. And for the record, I also feel like some names are easier to give nicknames than others. Like my name, Paul, Polly, Polly Poo, Polly Wall, Polly Boy. Like I go on and on and on, right? Like I've been given a lot of names, uh, nicknames. And now some of them are, are funny. Some of the nicknames are silly, they're goofy. And then there's some nicknames that are not so funny and so silly. They're, they're, there's more a seriousness to them. Um, I think about my kids calling uh, my parents or my in-laws uh, Mimi or Pop-Pop, right? Like sure, it's cute, but there, there's, a, there's a significance to it. It's because that's their grandparents, right? Not everybody can call them Mimi. Well, I guess you could, it'd just be weird, but like not everybody should call them that. It, it, it should be their grandkids, right? Because there's this relationship, there's this significance, there's this connection that they have. Therefore, they can call them these names. And uh, we're going to be talking about these four names that we just read in this passage. And if you still have your Bibles open, I would underline those names that we just read, because we're going to break them down. We're going to get into it, into the nitty gritty, if you will, um, of these names. And these are not just some nicknames or some uh, names we should read over and gloss over. I mean, honest confession, growing up in the church, I've probably heard the scripture, I can't even tell you how many times, right, and read these names. We sing about it this time of year all the time. And yet, I don't fully believe we understand the implications and the depth to which um, these, these, the meaning of these names. And so, that's what I want to jump into because I think there's very, some very powerful and purposeful meaning behind them. Now, as I was studying for this, I found out that throughout the Bible, <clears throat> Jesus has been given roughly, approximately 198 names or titles referring to him. We're saying about just some of them just now, right? Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, all those, right? Like 198 approximately. And the reason I say that is because Different translations say different things. You know, there's, there's spinoffs of certain words and whatnot. But when it comes to this passage, Isaiah 9, virtually all the translations say the exact same thing. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. They all speak of these exact same things. So we're going to take a good hard look at these prophetic names that Isaiah spoke about some 700 years before Jesus even stepped on the scene. So we're going to look at the significance of them, and then we're going to look at how Jesus actually fulfills these prophetic names in his life here on earth, and how he's still fulfilling them today. Because how many of you know he's still fulfilling these names today? He's still working and active in people's hearts and lives today. And so one last disclaimer before we jump in. I'm also going to do something I haven't really done before, which should make you a little nervous whenever the pastor says that. <laughs> no, I'm going to go ancient Hebrew on you guys. <laughs> Not sure why I'm doing the ninja hands, because I'm sure they didn't do that. There's probably more of like some spear action or something. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to give you some ancient Hebrew. And uh, no, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, not even close. Um, but I did a little bit of research, and once you start in this rabbit hole, man, you just get sucked in, 
And, um, but it wasn't all for nothing. In fact, I feel like going through these names, understanding the original meaning of them actually brings a depth and a richness to these names that some of us, myself included, had never really thought about or heard about before. So <clears throat> we're going to get into it and jump into this first name. And uh, Isaiah says, his name shall be called, everybody say it, Wonderful Counselor. Anybody have a good counselor that they see? About the same amount of hands as in first service. Like hardly any. <laughs> That's cool. You know, it means your lives are all perfect. You're all sorted out. Good for you. I'd love to know what, how you do it. Um, a couple years ago, I saw a counselor for actually a whole year. And it was awesome. I mean, in the moment, it wasn't awesome, <laughs> right? Because often we go to counselors because we don't. Something's wrong. There's issues, right, in our personal life, our marriage. Uh, and so I, I ended up going and, and stayed with this counselor for a whole year. And man, it was so good. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about why I do some of the things that I do and think the way that I think. Uh, and it was just really, really interesting and fascinating. And I learned a ton of, I gained a ton of resources and tools that I now have that I didn't have before. And obviously lots of information and, and just good sound counsel, wisdom. And um, now I get that that's not for everyone. You know, we all have our reasons if we like, if we don't, whatever. Uh, but the fact is, I think deep down, we all desire counsel, good counsel, right? We all desire good counsel, advice, direction, wisdom, right? That, that's what this means, uh, this word counsel. And the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this type of counselor, but it wasn't what we tend to think of today. It goes so much further and beyond what we think when we think of counselor. Isaiah said that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, the word wonderful in the ancient Hebrew is Pele, P-E-L-E, -E, um, and then Yoaz for counselor, which that it, it means virtually what we, what we think about today, advice, guidance, direction, purpose, that kind of thing. But this word Pele, um, it indicates something outside of human explanation, like we don't have the, the words, the ability to communicate exactly. It comes, the root word miracle comes from this word, right? Miraculous, other than <clears throat> not worldly. King David used it in this way in Psalm 78, 12. He's referring to their time in Egypt. He says, it was in the sight of their fathers that he, God, performed wonders in the land of Egypt. Miracles, right? We know the story. They, they were miraculous. They were not done by human hands. They couldn't have been. They were wonders. Psalm 139.6, David also uses it when he's talking about um, him being in awe of the Lord's personal knowledge of man, how he's so aware of us intimately and deeply. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's beyond me. He's saying, I can't comprehend it. It is too high. I can't attain it. In other words, what David 
and what Isaiah is describing as he's prophesying, as he's saying this out loud, that this future king, this promised Messiah, he would be a king, a Messiah that possesses counsel, but not just any counsel, not just any advice, miraculous, other than, beyond our human capabilities. There's this this sense of awe that we don't even fully grasp or understand Yet it is the exact type of counsel that the human heart longs and desires for. You know, Jesus fulfilled this in so many ways. I mean, if you look at his life all throughout scripture, he's he's giving sound counsel. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is a prime example of profound and deep truths that no one else had taught prior to that. But even earlier than that, you see Jesus fulfilling this prophecy, and I love it, when he's only 12 years old. He's just a boy. And the scriptures say that he was there at the synagogue stairs, and he's, he's talking and, and sort of debating with these Jewish rabbis, and the scriptures say they were just astounded by his wisdom as a young boy. They were just shocked, like, who is this, who is this kid? And then we see several years later when he's teaching in his hometown synagogue, the religious leaders had actually come to hear him. They had heard of this, this teacher, and they had come to hear him, and they were amazed at his understanding of Scripture, and they were also jealous, right? They were offended by it. Over and over and over again, we see people being amazed and astounded by Jesus' teaching, his, his insight into things, his mighty works, his miracles, as, they were experiencing, as if they were experiencing the wonderful counselor in real time. But the beauty of this role of the wonderful counselor, the beauty of this role that actually is the Holy Spirit with us, working in us, is it doesn't just speak to advice and direction, but it speaks to the very wholeness and completeness of our lives that only Jesus can fulfill. Like I said, we often think of counselors as someone sitting across from us in a chair, right? And they got the notepad, they're taking notes, um, as we express our feelings and, and how, we're, how we're doing and all those things. And again, not knocking it, totally believe in it. But this type of counsel is so much more. Isaiah was speaking of a coming Messiah who would give us guidance and wisdom on how to live and direct our lives, but not just in any way, in miraculous ways and forms. I think about people that I've come across who have had miraculous moments in their life that altered the direction of their life. Has anyone ever heard a story like that? Or maybe you've experienced it before, right? That is God. That's, that is wonderful counselor showing up in people's lives, altering the course of their lives, redirecting the way they were living, right? And set them back. But even more than that, he wants to bring completeness and wholeness into our lives and situation. That is our wonderful counselor. The next name is Mighty God. At the end of his two-week trip to Iran, Dan and his friend were about to cross the border and go into Afghanistan uh, for another week of ministry. Um, But little did he know that he would be um, about to enter into some of the darkest and hardest times of his life. So as Dan and his friend get to the border, to go into Afghanistan, um, the guards there detain them, they confiscate their papers, 
um, all their documents, there's visas, passports, everything, they take them. And then they take them away to two separate rooms, so they're not together, where they proceed to beat them for six hours, interrogate them, and then ultimately throw them in a prison. Cell number 58 for Dan. There, Dan would spend the next nine weeks having little to no food, hardly enough heat in his cell, no light coming in, and hardly any human interaction unless he was being interrogated or beaten for being a Christian. When Dan was in there, he felt the only way out ultimately was to just end it. In his exact words, he says, if I'm going to be here the rest of my life, why not just check out? Why not just die? Dan then proceeded to um, attempt taking his life four times in that cell. And every time, he could not finish the job. He just couldn't do it. Then one moment, actually on his last attempt, as he was trying to drown himself in a little sink that he had in his cell, he remembers um, just before he was about to pass out, jerking his head back so hard that he ends up falling on his back. And he was there in that moment that he said he felt the weight of all his guilt and shame and brokenness and just utter despair. And then he said the next thing he remembers was turning over as this glorious light filled his cell room. And he looked over and there knelt down was Jesus. He had this big grin on his face and a smile. And it was there in that moment that Dan was in his lowest point in life that Jesus encountered him in this cell in Iran. Dan describes looking at Jesus as Jesus looks at him. He stretches out his hands and he, and he goes to lift underneath as if he's about to pick Dan up off the ground. And then Dan, in this vision, as he's seeing Jesus, Jesus is looking at him. He says to Dan, he says, Dan, I love you. I promise to carry you through this time. You will get through this. And from that day until today, Dan has never had those thoughts again. What a story, huh? We love those stories. We love those, those miraculous moments where God shows up what looks like hopelessness, what looks like total despair and darkness, right? Where God all of a sudden intervenes miraculously out of nowhere. We love it. Well, that's exactly what Isaiah was prophesying when he spoke this word about a mighty God. He's saying he'll be a wonderful counselor, but he's also going to have the might and the power to back it up. The Hebrew word for a mighty God is El Gibor. El is the singular form of the word Elohim, which is used in the Old Testament, um, which means referring to the one true God. It's over and over again. You'll see it all throughout the Old Testament. Now, Gibor means strength or power or hero. It's this idea of a warrior, a fighter. It's the same word that is used in 2 Samuel when they're describing uh, King David's mighty men. You know, the story of his 400 mighty warriors. They're mightier than the rest. That word mighty is gibor. There's this, there's this warrior aspect to this. 
And so what Isaiah is saying here is he's prophesying this word, he's speaking this out years before Jesus would ever come on the scene, right? And this would have been a common term for them. They were familiar with war. They were familiar in the day of, of warriors. But this God would be a different kind of warrior. He's the one who goes and fights our battles for us. He's actually the one who's stepping out in front, leading the charge. <clears throat> I think of uh, the scripture in Matthew 28 that kind of paints this picture of Jesus as our mighty God because he literally defeats death, right? We're talking about the resurrection and after he raises from the dead, the Bible says that he, he put the enemy in his place. He disarmed the powers and principalities of this world. He shamed them, humiliated the enemy, and now here he is in full and total control. All authority has been given to him. And this is what he says to his disciples after he's been resurrected and he's about to ascend to heaven. Matthew 28, 16, 20, it says, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus lived a life of miracles. He performed many, many miracles, many, many mighty acts. You'll read about it throughout Scripture. But I cannot think of anything more uh, mighty, more profound than the resurrection itself literally defeating death. He displayed his authority over sin, death, and the powers of darkness. And to me, there's no greater act. This is a fulfillment, Jesus fulfilling this prophecy of mighty God. After Dan encountered Jesus in that prison cell, cell 58, Dan noticed that he actually began to have a heart change towards his oppressors, toward these people that would beat him and the prison guards. He actually began to see them how Jesus saw them, and he was, his heart was moved towards them, and he began to have compassion and empathy and actually love for these people. In fact, some of them he tried to befriend, not knowing how long he was going to be there, probably thinking the rest of his life. Well, it was not too long after that encounter that he had that he got summoned to the high court of Iran where the judge ultimately were asked him, what are you doing in Iran? Why did you come? And it was in that moment, standing before him, where something welled up in Dan and out of his mouth came these words. I came to Iran to tell you about Jesus Christ. Dan went on to preach in boldness the gospel in front of guards, judges, government officials right there in that courtroom for about 20 minutes before they had heard enough and taken him back to his cell, cell 58. About a week later, he was released and he got to come back home to America. Two years ago, I got to hear this story from Dan. I got to meet Dan. He was our summer camp youth speaker out at Little Beaver. And he wrote a book about this experience called Cell 58 where there's so much more to the story of him encountering Jesus and meeting and, and actually ministering to guards. And 
It's just an amazing story, right? It's profound, it's powerful, and it reminds us of the mighty God that we serve. That no situation is too far gone, no situation is too bleak for the mighty God to not show up in a moment, to change your life, to change your circumstance. You may feel hopeless, you may feel full of despair, you may feel guilt and shame for whatever reason, but mighty God is able to save. He's able to step in and intervene, and not just able, but he wants to. I think Isaiah was communicating that this Messiah is mighty because he accomplished all of this in his humility. He died, but he did not stay dead, and he accomplished a victory and salvation for us that no one ever could or ever will. And that's good news. Move on to this third name. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. Isaiah refers to the Messiah's eternality and holds this tension of the eternal nature of Jesus or the nature of this child to be born by calling him Everlasting Father. Now, it's interesting. Don't these two statements kind of contradict one another? Like, how could a child be born into time and space and yet exist outside of it? It's a, it's a weird thing, right, if I'm being honest. And certainly this would have been an uncommon uh, name for a future king, a promised Messiah, would have left a lot of people wondering and questioning what in the world this meant. But fortunately for us, being this side of history, we have the New Testament, we have the Gospels to reference back to and Jesus to reference back to. And so I want to do just that. I want to take us to John chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says about the eternal Father. It says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the, world, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. What is John saying here? He's saying Jesus himself is God. Therefore, if he is, he's also a father. Now, not in the same sense that God the Father is our father. Those are two distinct persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those are all distinct persons. But Jesus, as John says, As he says in John, I and the Father are one. We are one. Jesus, in nature, in essence, is one with the Father. And therefore, 
the only one who can reveal the Father to us. Plainly put, Jesus, this Messiah, is the Father's love in flesh form. He put on skin to demonstrate to us what the love of the Father looks like. The original Hebrew of everlasting Father is translated as aviad, which literally means Father of eternity, which makes sense when you read John's introduction to Jesus like we just did. It's, he says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. This again applies that he is outside of time. He's outside of the space. He was already there before anything was there. Now, I know this is a complex idea, and we could spend hours and hours and days and days debating and talking, and scholars do it. But what is abundantly clear as you read through Scripture is that he is the possessor of eternity. He owns eternity, and therefore, he is the only way to access eternal life through Jesus. He said it himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where he also says, and anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, I'm sure Isaiah, when he was prophesying this, probably didn't make total sense to him, <laughs> right? The seemingly paradoxical characteristics of the Messiah, but we have the privilege of seeing them all come together in this one person of Jesus Christ. And while it might not fully make sense to us, while you might be more confused than when you first came in here, <laughs> my hope is that as you would consider Jesus as your everlasting father, that you would experience the sense of awe and wonder of the one who possesses eternity and who invites us into it through his son, Jesus who took on the flesh of us humans so that we could see and he would demonstrate the love of our Heavenly Father. And then this last name is Prince of Peace. Late on Christmas Eve, during World War I, the war raged on in Europe, 1994, was at the peak of their battle, and then something strange actually happened on the Western Front, actually in, in parts of the Western Front. As the bombs stopped and the gunfire ceased, Allied troops sat there in darkness and silence and wondered what is going on. They're so used to the fighting and the noise, they, they were wondering what's happening. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, they began to hear some singing from the enemy lines. It was the Germans singing Silent Night. <clears throat> a few hours of this went by and eventually the British soldiers decided to join in on the singing. And they too began singing Silent Night in English. And this went on all night long into the next day, into Christmas Day. Then on Christmas Day, through a series of conversations shouting <laughs> into different enemy territory, they decided to have a truce for the day. And they actually met one another in the middle ground, which at the time was called no man's land, right? Nobody was there. 
you had enemies on this side, another team, uh, uh, the army on this side, right? And, and shooting at each other, but they called a truce on Christmas day. And they actually met in the middle in no man's land. And they shook hands and they actually exchanged gifts and crazy enough, played a game of soccer. I, I actually took a picture of, or I didn't take a picture, but <laughs> I mean, I wish, but there you go. Proof that God loves soccer, all right? Yeah, so that's them playing a game of soccer in, in the middle of no man's land, in the peak, in the middle of a raging war, World War I. So they agreed to one day of peace, and then the next day resumed battle. Just kind of crazy, isn't it? Like, it's a cool story, but it's also a little sad and unsatisfying, isn't it? Because we know how the rest of the story goes. Peace was over after one day. And then bloodshed began to continue on. The bombs kept dropping, right? The fire, the, the, the gunfire kept going. Like, it didn't last, unfortunately. And that's what I want to speak into this as we kind of wrap things up here is Often we create this illusion of peace in our lives through various means and ways, right? Because ultimately we desire a, a, a sense of peace to actually have this peace, but we really, what we truly desire is lasting peace, sustaining peace. We get it here, we get it glimpses here, we get it moments here or days here, but I think what we're really after is a sustaining, lasting peace to rule and reign in our hearts. This last title for <clears throat> um, the Messiah, the coming Messiah, who we know is Jesus in Isaiah, is Prince of Peace, which is translated Sar Shalom. In Hebrew, this one's a little more nuanced than the other titles, but Shalom, which some of you are familiar with, conveys this kind of feel-good meaning, right, of peace, prosperity, happiness, friendship, absence of strife. That's what we think when we think of shalom, and that's what it means. But this other word, sar, which is used in um, the Old Testament, often referring to mil militaristic terms, is a little less friendly. It, it, it talks about, or what it means is commander, captain, a ruler, prince. And I think when we think of Jesus, we don't necessarily think of a commander or a ruler, but the description of Prince of Peace lends us to believe that Jesus was not just a peaceful guy full of tranquility, right? Or else he would have been called a peaceful prince. But instead he was called the Prince of Peace, which means that was, he was not just full of peace and a peaceful guy, but he actually controls peace. He actually rules over peace and offers it as he wills and as he pleases to whomever he pleases. Jesus said this in the book of John, John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift. Isn't that awesome? It's a gift that he has. What is it? Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you as a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. 
John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. If our peace comes from Jesus, church, the world does not have the power to take it away because he is our commander, because he is our ruler. He is the one who controls peace. He is the one who offers you lasting and sustaining peace. And so you may face tribulation. You may be in difficult moments and difficult times, but the world cannot take away your peace because that doesn't control it. Jesus does. And he offers it to us through his spirit. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus has the authority to give us the eternal peace our souls were made to crave. And I think ultimately, when I look at all of these names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace, I think what these names actually speak to and what Isaiah was prophesying goes so much further than just titles and names. I think they were speaking to the very longing and desire of our hearts to have miraculous, awe-inspiring counsel given to us through the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. Like, yes, if you have a counselor, great, go to them. We need to do that. But don't you know you also have the counselor and access to him right here, right now through his spirit? Don't you know that you have access to a mighty God who fights your battles for you no matter where you find yourself? No matter how, how hopeless you may feel, you have a God that can and will show up in a moment's notice? That we have an everlasting Father who wants to shower his love upon you, who literally took on human flesh so that you would know that you are so loved and cared for, so much so that he would kill himself, crucify himself, so that you could one day meet and encounter and experience him. And that we have a Prince of Peace who wants to pour out peace into your life, into your situation, into your homes, into your families, into your relationships, and it'll be a peace that will carry you and sustain you throughout life. That's good news, huh? That's the Messiah, that's the King that Isaiah prophesied about so many years ago. And that's the same God, the same Jesus we get to meet and experience right here, right now. So would you stand to your feet with me? I wanna invite our prayer teams forward. They're available to you for prayer for anything. It could be about this, it could be about whatever. <laughs> they want to pray, man. They've been prayed up, prayed up all week for you. I want to encourage you to come find them. And I also want to encourage you, man, this, this holiday season, as we go through this series, right, that you would acquaint yourself, that you would get to know this promised King, this Messiah, who's here and now, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father and this Prince of Peace, that you have the ability to access him whenever, wherever he's available to you. So I want to pray for you as we go out this week. <clears throat> so Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, Lord, that we have this ability to freely come and worship you. And as we come into this season of Christmas, Lord, as we remember, as we reflect on the birth of your Savior, 
that these these words, these names, these titles that were prophesied about you, God, speak to the very desire and longings of every human heart. It's you that we ultimately desire. At the end of the day, it is only you that can fill the void in our hearts and in our souls that we desire and crave to have fulfilled. It's only you, Jesus. It's always been about you. So Lord, I ask that we would come to you as we seek these things out. And Lord, ultimately, you would change us from the inside out. God, I pray your blessing. I pray your favor, your power over us as we leave this place, knowing that we have a mighty God who is with us always. We have a heavenly Father who loves us regardless of what we've done. We have access to the best counsel and advice anytime, any place. And Father, you poured out peace upon us that the world could never take away. And that is something to rejoice over. So we say we love you, Jesus, and we thank you. And we bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, you guys are awesome. Merry Christmas again. We love you. And hopefully we see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.